Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another exciting episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in my new, newly expanded studio. That makes it sound like we like added on or something. We did not. We just knocked out a closet. So it's bigger inside. It's a little more reverby, which Tony Thaxton, hello. Hi. Loves. Oh, it's it's not too bad. I just was letting you know. I know. Yeah. We need to damp we need to dampen yeah. and yeah. deaden. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was in the house, I was thinking like, if only I had a giant oversized teddy bear or like a giant, you know, like the kind that you see someone win at the fair and you think to yourself, where are they going to put that? Yeah. And like, why do you want to win it? Because then you're just going to, what are you going to carry it around all day? You are. I guess. I wonder if you say to them like, could you hold this goldfish for me? If Yeah. We need, Mm. we talked about Rennies last week, Ren Mm Fairview. We need like some I guess carnies would be their name. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yes, my sister and I both had oversized, not to brag, but we had some oversized stuffed animals. You're bragging. I know. Yeah. Uh, and I do wonder, like, would that work well in the corner of a studio before you fully put up uh, soundproofing and stuff? <laughs> I think there's only one way to find out. I'm going to call my mom. <laughs> Send Max the Moose and the Jingle Bears. They're not, they didn't come to, it's not like a performance oh, group. Thank you, like thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if it were though? Like, and it's Max the Moose and the Jingle Bears. Okay. I am delighted to welcome to the show an author, a woman who was on Watch What Happens Live on a very pivotal night for anyone who's been following along, Scandaval. She has written two Amazing books by yourself, the fucking lilies, sometimes written F asterisk C K I N G, but I'm just going to tell you what it is. So, so you don't have to, you know, tax your brain and glow in the fucking dark. Please put your hands together for Tara Schuster. Hello. Thank you for having me. I love, I love actually experiencing the, the clapping. Yeah. Like when I listen, I, but now I went through the experience. I know. I liked it. Thank you. You're welcome. It feels good, right? Yeah. Let's get another round of applause. Nope. We also have, I don't know that Tony's ever played it. Jeff used to play it every now and again. We have like just a weak smattering of applause. Do you have that one? Mm. Does it make you sad? Well, I think, I think it was used more as punctuation. Like, mm. oh, cr- like almost like cr- it's a little nicer than crickets, but... Speaking of crickets, there is a cricket. (laughs) That is more like robust cricket action. But there's like one lone cricket in our house that we hear all the time. And I'm just like, where is it? Yeah. And is it just one? Is it more than one? I turned to you guys as if you would know. I don't know. I know. Did you have any large stuffed animals when you were a child? I was trying to think. No, but recently my one of my best friends bought me a stuffed animal that I have been cuddling with a lot is an adult stuffed animal its name is baby the bear oh that's cute and it's like a gray really like cuddly like i kind of like spoon Uh teddy bear but i got it in my 
late thirties was my first. <laughs> Wait, you did you not have now? like a, a security not, item when you were a kid? Not really, which was part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, we we know from the books that you did not have the happiest childhood. No, pretty unfun, but yeah, here I am now. Right. So tell me more about Baby the Bear. So Baby the Bear was given to me. I was like in a very depressed state. And one of my best friends, Sarah, who lives in D.C., it was the first thing she did. She sent me Baby the Bear. That's so nice. Instantly, instantly felt a ton better, had something to cuddle. And now I'm just – I'm like in a good mood and I'm still bringing Baby the Bear to bed. Yeah. And, and with people, with like men can really? see Baby the Bear. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. In, you bring Baby ba- the Bear into yes. bed with – how do the, how do the men feel about it? Well, it's one man and he's – It's your boyfriend, like, right? It's my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, cute. <laughs> and it was end of story, nothing more. But as I say it out loud, I'm like, wow, that actually does feel creepy to me. No. I'm going to no, def- okay, okay, good. Well, I'm going to defend it because I have koala. Koala is a koala. I've had koala since I was 6, which really, you know, every now and then you'll see those uh like pictures of like here's what your pillow looks like and it's just oh, yeah. crawling with the horrendous things. I'm sure koala who went to summer camp with me went on lots of trips. Uh, is just completely disgusting. But for the longest time with Daniel, whom you met, yes, uh, koala just like hung out on the nightstand mm. and never made it into bed. And I then see. it's a certain point I was like, I cannot keep up this charade any longer. <laughs> Sometimes I need koala in the bed. And now my four-year-old, and this is not, things went off the rails. This was not the plan. But my four-year-old, when we uh, switched, he was not four at the time, but when we switched him from a crib to a bed, realized he would rather be with us in the middle of the night. So pretty much every single night at some point, he's in our bed. So now it's Daniel, Owen, the four-year-old, Wendy, our dog, me, (laughs) and sometimes Koala. There's just a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah. It is. It's a standard king. And a lot of people get California kings, which are narrower. Oh, yeah. is it? I thought a California king is the biggest. No, no people think that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. me. What's yeah, the biggest? Okay. Standard king or regular king or eastern king or whatever. So a California king is a little bit longer, but it's a little bit. It's like four inches narrower. Who wants that? Tall people yeah, who you, are. You got to be super tall. To, yeah. To want, to, like. I don't want a um, a less wide bed. No. Then you can't fit koala. You can't fit son, all of that. Dog, right. Husband. Yeah. You need that space. And then sometimes I feel bad. For my six-year-old, because he's mm. just all alone in his bedroom at like the other side of the house. I didn't ever feel bad for him until I was going to bed the other night and I was thinking, all the heartbeats in this house are in this room, except that he's like all the way over there. Maybe he's enjoying it. Maybe. Like his own wing. Probably. Yes. Like that. He gets some peace, quiet, solitude all to himself. When I was a kid, I was so envious of families where the kids had their own line because I, the school that oh, I went yes. to, they would send out the directory, which was everyone's phone number. And in it would say like, you know, so-and-so, their address, phone number. And then underneath it, it was a kid's line. <laughs> and we never had a kid's line. We just had one line until I like became an adult mm. who, why, would, why did I have? No, I had graduated college, but I, 
I had great plans to not move back home, but then I did move back home for a little while and I had my own line at that point, but there was no like directory to put it together, you know? Did you ever ever have your own line? Oh yeah. You did. But I think, I don't think that they denoted my own line. So that's cool. And those directories were really cool. They were really cool. Just everybody's address, phone numbers, easy on paper, you just take a look. Right. I wish, I don't know if schools have that now. So- Mike Owen, the the one who has invited himself into our bed, uh, that makes it sound so much more salacious. (laughs) Um, We get like a a printout from the school that has that information. But this was like a directory with like a spiral thing. Yeah, like a binding. Exactly. And then for Elliot, we're all on, we don't even get anything on paper. We're just all on an app. I don't want any more apps in my life. I know. No, thank you. I know. Oftentimes, if there's something that I'm interested in and I have to like set up a username and log in, I just cannot do it. I agree. I went to a new workout class this morning mm-hmm. and they were like, you should download the app. Then you can decide where you want to stand. And I'm like, no, it's a hard no. I do not want your app at all. I don't want to like, I'm not trying to look at my screen more than I already do where I'm wasting my life. Like, can you talk to me? In real life, you right. can pick this right now. Yeah. But I'm, wait, you choose ahead of time where you stand yeah, in the class? Yeah. What kind of class is this? Training mates. Where mm, I'm going to have a lot of a lot of questions. It's a bunch of hot Australian men oh. who give you positive affirmations and high fives as you do your squats oh and my such. God. Makes it so much easier. It's, yeah. a, it's a delightful experience, <laughs> minus the app situation. Wait, it's I'm sorry. Yes. I have got there's just a, there's a lot to drink in, don't you think, Tony? It's yeah, I'm with you. Does this happen at a specific gym? So it's you don't have, if you don't want to give out mates. the Okay, so it's just like a specific class, yeah. training mates. And they're your mates who help you train. Yeah. Like mates I, in the European sense. Like mate, like how I imagine Australian people say Probably mate. more in the Australian yeah. sense, really. <laughs> hey, if you have an accent, you're European. Yeah. Okay. So, but my in my defense, this is the weakest defense ever. <laughs> My friend Izzy is from England and she says mate. <laughs> See? Case closed. Okay. So anyway, you're at a class and it's taught by the Australians or they yeah. just they just come in. <laughs> that would be amazing if yeah. just a gaggle of Australians right. came in to, to affirm cheer you. you on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's they're the instructor. But what what exercises yeah. are you doing? It's like squats, it's um that rowing machine, and then okay. it's that horrific um the the you are bicycling but wind is coming at your face oh my god you know that no that's the worst of them all it's like the most hardcore bicycle it's imp- you you're put uh, i don't even know how to describe it but it's is the really wind hard. creating resistance yeah it's all the resistance you're going against actually oh is creating the wind um it's not pleasant it's really hard and I only did it when he was watching me uh-huh. today. And then the moment he turned his back, pause. I'm not doing this. Is it like your hair is blowing? Is yeah. it like one of those, like, was it Memorex? Was that the yeah, ad with so. the guy? Yeah. Oh. So um, everything's blowing right. back? Yes. From the wind you're creating, but you're pushing your hands backwards and forwards as you pedal on these big um, levers. I mean, it sounds kind of cool. It's, it's really hard. Really, really Where is the wind hard. coming from? Like what's from, it blowing out of? I think from the wheel of the bike, the front oh. wheel. Because sometimes when you're working out, it would be nice to have a breeze on you. But this is more than a breeze. This is like 5Gs or something. Well, it's it's or enough that you notice. 
if I knew what a G was, I could more properly. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I said 5G, I instantly <laughs> wanted to take it back because I don't, I mean the G as in a gravitational force, not 5G like on your phone. Yeah. But the yeah. only time I mention that, I guess, is when I talk about phones. So, um, okay. And then like, what kind of things do they tell you? Like, um, good work. Yeah. <laughs> you got this. So like things I'm like uh, thank you. Yeah, no, I think it would actually feel really good. I was doing these some like a hamstring exercise that was also really hard, and he was like, You own this. (laughs) I was like, Oh my god, I do. Thanks for noticing. I got some thumbs up from him. Uh I actually felt like I got a lot of personal attention today. Uh so I'm feeling pretty good. I think he likes you. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be nice. Wait, now why? Remind me why we you mentioned going to the gym. I have no idea. Okay, I oh, do apps. Oh yes, apps. they wanted me. To oh wait, no, I'm sorry. I'm like no choosing thanks. where you stand. That was the part that like got us here. Why? Why do we need to choose ahead of time? I don't know. Maybe it actually takes away some of the stress because when I think of most of my life is spent in this house at this point. Even though the pandemic is pretty much behind us, I've chosen to continue to live this way. It just suits me. But I was a reclusive before. But anyway, back when I think of various situations where I did have to choose where I was going to sit, all school-based, okay. it did cause some anxiety. Of like, I got to get, get there early because I want to sit next to this person and then this other person wants to sit there and I don't like her. And You can't you know. win with these things. No. It's, I My big thing is I just don't want to look at this screen anymore. Yeah. I'd probably take the anxiety of like, which I also feel, right. of where do I go? Uh-huh. But at least I'm not like staring into an abyss. Right. That's what I don't want to do anymore right. of. Right. Because I'm That's doing good. it like six hours a day. So yes. it's out of control. Do you look at your screen time report? Yeah. That's how I know. It's between four to six hours and that's bad. That's like you think about I think your mine's whole life. higher than that though. I mean, it's all bad. Yeah. I don't want to like no, die and it's like you spent one million <laughs> hours I've on been, your phone. I've been trying to cut back on mine. How's it going? My screen report last week, 51 minutes. <gasps> all of I the was week? Shocked. The whole uh, no, week I think or a day? That was the average. That was like the <gasps> That's average really the good. Yeah, I was, I was shocked. I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> I know. Wait, I was convinced it had to be wrong. But- all the stuff you were doing on your phone, are you not doing it or are you just doing it now on your computer? Uh, no, I'm just doing it a lot less. Huh. Like I'm wow. trying to trying to be present. What a what a concept. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. Impressed. Thank you. Very impressed. Thank you. Well, speaking of being present, I mean that like speaking of, you know, making changes and taking control of your mood and your life and all that's pretty much like what your books are about, Tara. Yeah. Um, just trying to think where we should start. I am tempted to just kind of jump in and just ask like for your life story, which is huge, unless we should just jump in with, well, no, you know what? Why don't you tell people like a bit about what Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies was about and then what Glow in the Fucking Dark is about. And then we can get into the more general, like how you got here. Absolutely. Um, So I grew up in just this mess wreck disaster household where things came to die. My parents, I mean, like literally a family of deer died in our pool. Mm -hmm. That's like one of my first memories. Um, Where was this? In Brentwood. Okay. But because, which is significant because, you know, everything was dying. Um, Social services was being called all the time to come to our house or to check on me at school because my parents uh, didn't know how to take care Mm. of kids and didn't have the capacity to learn. I think now looking back, they just had no awareness that Mm -hmm. we were there. 
Um, so it wasn't, I actually don't blame them because I don't, it wasn't um, malintent. Mm-hmm. They really didn't know. They weren't suited. No, they were not suited. And because I lived in Brentwood and um, my dad's a lawyer and my mom's a doctor and everything looks really good and they're driving the right cars, it never really got taken that seriously mm-hmm. how bad things were. And it was like an open construction site for five years. It was the house itself was built on a literal shaky foundation. Mm. Like I learned the word pylon <laughs> like before I was six. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I was always looking for adults to validate me, to give me my worth. So I just clung on to teachers, was always the gr- – like getting all A's, et cetera, all the extra credit – which got me to an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. Which Brown, got, right? Yeah, Brown, um, which then got me to New York where I really quickly started climbing up the ladder at Comedy Central. I went from um, – I was an intern at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and worked my way up to vice president of talent development at Comedy Central where I ended up running shows like Key and Peele and knowing people like David mm-hmm. Spade. Um, and it was all a magic trick. It was like, look over here. Mm-hmm. I'm like so glammy and have status and I'm not a weirdo because I felt like such a weirdo. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody who had a um, didn't talk to their mom, was barely talking to their dad. Yeah. So how I actually coped with it was through status and a roller coaster of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. And I'm just trying to smoke it all away with weed to be numb all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no idea how I felt. Mm-hmm. No and, – and no – um ability to own my life like it was like life was happening to me mm-hmm. and i was just like asleep a sleepy passenger and it but went, ambitious yeah. yes but the ambition was just to keep moving mm-hmm. and what i thought life was was a series of crises to endure mm. just jump to the next crisis if you can survive this survive the next thing and it was such a little life mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i had no vision i couldn't have dreams i didn't have goals it was just keep going mm-hmm. and i might have kept going this way except on my 25th birthday i drunk dialed my therapist and threatened to kill myself which uh if you haven't done that is one of the most shameful things you can do it's i i felt so embarrassed the next morning that i was that out of control that these were the decisions i was making mm-hmm. and i realized um if i don't save my life uh nobody else is my parents aren't here they're not going to swoop in suddenly i i didn't have any family like no um i have family but nobody like no aunt who was just gonna like ride in and take me in and that's when i decided i want to live the only way i can see that happening is if i become my own parent Mm -hmm. i'm gonna reparent myself i'm gonna unlearn these things because mostly how i walked around the day was um this diss track in my brain of you are ugly. Um, nobody cares about you. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest thing I thought about myself. Um, you're never going to succeed. I was 25. It's too late. Uh, you're ugly. It, 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 it was my whole life was being caught in in those thoughts and those words. How conscious were you that that was the track in your head? I could he- – I. it was all I could hear. Okay. It was un- – So it wasn't like automatic thoughts. It was like – it, very, it was, you're very conscious I, of it. I didn't know there was something else. Mm. Like I just thought, okay, this is how it must be. This right. is how I live. And it wasn't until I started reparenting myself by – I mean I was just asking any adult I respected. Like how do you live? What mm. what do you do for yeah, anything? Um, I was reading um, memoirs like mm. they were self-help. You know, I, I'm obsessed with Nora Ephron. 
And in one of her books, she says it's the second glass of wine that mm. wakes you up at night. And I'm like, two, that, that's it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, Nora, Nora, I need a little bit more yeah. than, than that, but I'll try. And I did this and I took notes in a Google document. Um, five years later, the Google Doc was 600 pages. Mm. And I felt like I felt like a person. Mm-hmm. I felt stable and like I could enjoy one moment of my life, which hadn't been the case before. And I was a TV exec. I had no plans of writing a book, mm-hmm. much less a self-help-esque d- a deep dive into right. trauma and like how to emerge from it. But I just realized like I have an offering. There aren't many books like this that are just an honest accounting with like, you know, self-help books are like feel joy. Yeah. It's like, duh, but (laughs) what are steps one through five? Right, And since I had all these notes, I just thought um, I had always been a writer and I thought, I I think this could help one person. And if it did, that would make the whole thing worth it. And so that's sort of how this all began and why I started reparenting myself in the first place. You say you had always been a writer. Like what kind of writing had you been doing before? Yeah. So like from really young, I had been making my own little zines. You know? Oh, that's so cool. And um, like Doodles was the name of my, I think like fifth grade zine. Um, I started a literary magazine at my high school and then I went to Brown for playwriting. And I thought I was going to be a playwright. Until I met with a super famous playwright in New York. And I'm working at like the public theater. It's like the fanciest mm-hmm. possible place. I'd gotten my degree with the fanciest possible professors. Yeah. And this famous playwright is like, he says, so what are you going to do now that you're in New York? And I'm like, I'm going to be a playwright. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. He laughed. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. What, what do you mean? And he's right. like, oh, you should look into real estate because this isn't a career. You can't make money as a playwright. Do you not want to say who it was? No. Okay. But he, because he was very lovely, Mm -hmm. nice man, but forever changed the direction. Cause I, yeah, I couldn't hear that because I grew up in, I grew up in a lot of financial um, instability where we'd go on a vacation to Hawaii, but I couldn't go to the dentist. (sighs) You know, it was a a completely bizarre, inconsistent, inconsistent, confusing way. And I didn't want to be financially unstable. Mm -hmm. I, the money was, screamed about in my household constantly Mm -hmm. so when he said that i was like where's corporate america right i'm like Uh not gonna do this so i had always been like you pulled the rug out from under you oh dream absolutely and then at comedy central i still kept writing and i would submit to the new yorker and once I got a couple things in there. You did? What did you get? What kind of stuff did you get Shouts in there? Shouts and murmurs. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It was really <laughs> fun. Um, uh, it's, I should clarify, definitely the New Yorker online. Still. But still. even being close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that gave me a little confidence mm-hmm. to, you know, start really thinking, maybe I could be a writer. Maybe that guy was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like I'd never considered that this could be a career. And now two years later as a full-time writer – I'm like, oh, yeah, that <laughs> that was insane. But I'm grateful that I, you know, had savings, made connections, had mm-hmm. all kinds of experiences um, at Comedy Central. But I always wanted to be a writer. Right. Do you feel like Comedy Central was a diversion? Yes and no. Um, I was too scared. I, it was a something. It was a stop. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, because I was just too scared. Like I always knew I want to write for TV. I want to write books. I want to write this. Yeah. I was too scared. And friends who were doing it, I was like, I don't understand. You just want to be poor. <laughs> like that was that was the my big, big concern was mm-hmm. that I would be poor forever. And because I also believed I couldn't succeed, mm-hmm. I just I couldn't see how that was going to work. Right. So I don't really think there was given how I grew up. I don't think there was another choice. And for making a choice, Comedy Central was incredible. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, the president, Ken Alterman, had such a vision. He brought in people like Amy Schumer, Broad City, Kean Peele. Like the caliber of comedian that I worked with, like up close and personal. Uh, How do you get that education otherwise? So I think it was worth it. And if I had grown up a different way, that's not how it would have gone. While you were around the talent – I say that in quotes, um, or the people who were considered the talent, were did you ever find yourself feeling like I should be doing that? No, but how I re- how I felt about them is I should protect that. Like my just you know how do you mean? Like sometimes in Hollywood, not to you know cast dispersions. I don't even know what that word means. I think it means I think you're right negativity. Yeah. Um, sometimes executive notes are not amazing. Sometimes oh, they're, oh they're like you want to like, protect their talent. Yeah, like they're like, uh, make it funnier. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And so I just saw myself, I related to the writers mm-hmm. and just wanted to, I didn't, I think part of me just thought I could never do that. So it didn't even occur to me. I was, right. but I just felt like I knew that was like my tribe a little more. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted uh, not to be a dick. Right. That's a lot of what drove me. <laughs> That's a good goal. Um, your writing voice is so natural and friendly, and like I feel like I feel like it should be like Tara Schuster is your new best friend. Except, sorry, I got that first. That's the name of my show. Yeah. Um, but it really, like, as you you know, it it really feels like reading. Like when you read the books, it's like, oh, this is my new friend. I want to spend time with. Was that your voice? in these books from the beginning or did it was did it like did you have to find that yeah it's kind of always how i've written Mm -hmm. as kind of how i speak but to do that is so friggin' hard (laughs) yeah it it, like the biggest compliment someone gives me is when it it feels casual and off the cuff and like we're having a conversation Mm -hmm. i'm like good because i sweat over every goddamn word in that book to make it feel like I'm embracing you some way or we're just sitting together Mm -hmm. having a conversation. So I knew that was my voice and I knew that was what I wanted to lean into. But to do it, it's like you're looking at contractions. Yeah. It's like the teensiest thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always get excited because I'm like, that was really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Question about the financial instability and stuff and the inconsistencies in your household. Were there actual money problems or was that where they went with their anxiety? It was both. I think at time, you know, my mom went through bankruptcy. Our house was foreclosed on. Or I think our house and an office mm. building. I watched a car be repossessed. Um, so there were definitely problems. But I think the problem was that they made money and they couldn't stop spending. Got it. So it was very self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. And it was real. Right. Right. Uh, you said that child protect or social services mm-hmm. were called. What? What? Why? I think it was um, uh, neighbors who were just hearing like constant screaming and my like I would wander away mm. um, and I write about this a lot in Glow. I was lonely, uh, all the time lonely and as I grew older, I was so embarrassed of how lonely I was 
And I'd beat myself up about it. And one of my first memories is of um, I'm with my babysitter. I, I play wrong. I do something she doesn't want me to do with a Lego set, a circus-themed Lego set. She leaves, and now I'm just wandering down the streets of my neighborhood, which is in the canyons of Brentwood. Mm-hmm. So it's actually kind of scary for a little kid, the yeah. big trees, um, not people around. And I finally got to myself to a neighbor, and the neighbor just looked at me like I was the most vile, uninvited mm person ever and i uh, now i understand why it's we were the bad family yeah we were the bad family bringing everybody else down Mm -hmm. Uh, everything was so messy outside of our house you know and she couldn't separate that from me and this memory always plagued me well it plagued me as i'm gonna be lonely forever this is a a deep this is a bad thing that i need to change until i realized Loneliness is my superpower. Like, it's not embarrassing that I had to go find an adult. What's embarrassing is that she would treat a child Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. I was actually really healthy Mm -hmm. and was looking for an adult. I could have drowned in the pool, started a fire. There's so many other things I could have done. Five. Where did the babysitter go? She drove out the driveway in her white Ford Tempo. Wait, she just took off? She took off. She had a, it would later be revealed, and this is not in the book at all. Um, it would later be revealed that she had a lot of problems. And that's why she was just like taking off. But, yeah. you know, when you go through really severe trauma, or even if not, you question yourself forever. Of course. Was that really bad? Did yeah. that really happen? Yeah, no, you have no frame of reference, but no. especially at that age, to realize that that wasn't about you. Yeah. So I got a bone to pick with her. <laughs> <laughs> she Facebook messaged me. She did? Yeah. What did she say? Like a, like a, I barely read it. It was like, mostly like, hi, Tara, I miss you. It's been so long. And then I was like, I can't read this. Wait, she didn't even like acknowledge? No. She, I don't think she understood at all yeah. the impact and why would she you know and then she was out of my life for an, uh, 30 years mm-hmm. you know um but it's it was that kind of it, but also like where that your wait did, and she, that your parents still had her watching you after oh, that is like and what I would, the hell i would complain it mm-hmm. wasn't like this stuff um wasn't noticed and so i think that's a lot you see a wandering child enough yeah. times you're going to call social services right but then they came out and nothing happened no because my dad lawyer, was a doctor, lawyer yeah. mom was a doctor they drove benzes what really could what really could be wrong with a white right. girl living in Brentwood in that environment? You Did know? they yell at you a lot or just each other? Mostly each other. But my mom was uh, very abusive in, you know, telling me just vile things. Yeah. You know, so she she was the one who um, was verbally abusive. But it was mostly it was just like a, a din of war. Mm. It was like a Vietnam and like. What would victory even mean? We were just in this right. fog, of right? War right, constantly, and um, it really wasn't until I started to reparent myself and like go observe other families. Mm-hmm. Like, how do they have dinner? Are they screaming at each other? That's when I started to be like, oh my god, my childhood was so far off. And I think what I'm noticing now is it actually wasn't that far off from a lot of people's experience. Yeah. I, I Unfortunately, so many of us had a lot of these experiences. And even if we didn't have it as extreme, they still suck. Yeah. And they still hurt. Right. And we still have to heal them if we're going to live a life that we actually want to live. Can you say more about how loneliness is your superpower? Yeah. I had 
What I, I guess the biggest thing I've realized in all this work is you can't reject yourself into self-acceptance. Mm. It's not possible. So loneliness, I was always the most embarrassed about, especially because um, as I got older, all my friends got married. You know, all my friends, um, I was 35. Everybody, it seemed like within one pandemic year, <laughs> yeah. was married, baby. And I wasn't. Mm. I was single. I was alone for all, like, everything. And I, I just started to believe, like, I, I loneliness just is at my core. Mm. I'm just going to be alone forever. And I'd beat myself up about it and be like, no, 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 I don't want this. I don't want loneliness. How can I fix it? How can I solve this? And with time, I realized there's nothing to solve. Like, being alone that much is why I write books. Mm. It's why I love connecting with my community online. Like, genuinely, I don't have the fake shit because mm. it's – I need to be connected to people. And um, my – I'm getting more Jewish. It's like, why do I go to synagogue? Mm. Because I want to connect with other people. So this thing that I was rejecting as terrible about me mm. – actually is something really beautiful that just needs to be a little right. um, polished, put in the right direction, but is not something for me to endlessly compare myself to other people or tear myself down, right. especially with um, things around like matrimony and babies and all that. Like I've really had to work on that. Yeah. Do you, So do you mean it in the sense of like, because if you didn't feel lonely, that would mean like you're really shut down. I think if I didn't have the loneliness, I don't know if I'd be a writer, mm -hmm. period. Yeah, if you, yeah, because writing, well, to me, it's like about connection. It's about expression. It's about... Absolutely. Yeah. It's 100% about being in a connection with another person. Mm -hmm. And even if I never meet the person, I feel it when I'm yeah. writing. Yeah. I, I really imagine a person with me. And it's given me all these opportunities to do workshops and go speak to people and go all over the country meeting people and, and being with them and seeing them and they see me. And I don't know if I hadn't been actually abandoned some of the time, mm -hmm. would I have that drive? Right, right. What is your actual writing practice, habits, discipline like? Um, so I'm really have a schedule to write lilies. I had a full time job that um, <laughs> in Hollywood, you take it so seriously. Like comedy is the most urgent thing on earth. <laughs> so I was like constantly stressed out about how. Um, this show was going or that show. So the only time I could write was before work. So I'd wake up early. I, I'd get up. Like I'd, what time are we talking? As like, a night person, what time are we talking? Like 6.30. <laughs> okay. So not not horrific. Um, I'd journal a little and then I would set a timer on my phone mm -hmm. and I had to just sit, do nothing else but write for one hour. And over the course of three hours, uh, excuse me, three years of doing that, I was able to finish the book. Mm -hmm. I also had to like pull in vacations, weekends, sometimes nights. Mm -hmm. um, but I've really maintained that practice. I always write in the morning. It's always to a timer. I have to focus. I cannot do anything else on the computer. Mm -hmm. And I really have to do it basically first thing or I'll get so distracted. Yeah. And then as the day wears on, then I start to feel guilty mm -hmm. and I – I just love writing. And when you deny the thing you love so that you can like be on Amazon looking for a new phone case, <laughs> like it doesn't feel good to your soul. But there's so many things to look at on Amazon. Oh my God. That I is know. like the biggest, the biggest, it's really hard to choose the biggest, but one of the biggest time sucks is like 
I'm just going to read some reviews. Oh, God. Because <laughs> I want to get the best, you know, $21 item I don't need. Can opener. Yeah. I spent oh my God. time. What is the best can opener? <laughs> I now know it has red handles. It's, um, what's it called? Wire cutter? The New York yes. Times? Yes. It's their number one go-to pick. Yeah. Like, why? Is it? Do you why do it? I know that? Do you own it? I own it. Is it a great can opener? No. Oh, okay. See, <laughs> that, talk about betrayal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're like, I, I had a falling out with Consumer Reports at one point when really? I lived in New York. I needed a vacuum. Hmm. Um, and they recommended like the, is there one called like the Red Devil? This is pre-Dyson. The Red or, Devil or I think something? it's called the Red Devil. Yeah. yeah. It's just a stick vac. It was fine, but it wasn't amazing. And then I'm like, I don't know about, I feel like, oh, and also they are, they, and I'm sorry to the people who live in or love Boston, but they recommended Dunkin' Donuts coffee like above all others. And I just don't think um, it's that good. I'm actually so. having a flirtation with Dunkin' Donuts you are? right now. I am. Tell I us. really am. <laughs> I is in all the airports yeah. and Starbucks has a line mm. around the like yeah. whole terminal. So I've been experimenting with their iced coffee and I've got to say it's not bad. Well, I feel like Consumer Reports has your number. <laughs> I actually <laughs> talked to them before this podcast and okay. we discussed it. <laughs> got it. Um wait. This can opener, though, is it like handheld? It's handheld, which I read in another book is really good for you that um, we should be doing all the tasks in a kitchen oh, for exercise. That's smart. But that's a, a whole other topic. Yeah. But this week, I needed to open up a can of coconut milk mm. to make a curry. I could not with this thing. It, it, it just it flat out didn't work. And in my refrigerator right now is a can of coconut milk. That has like odd <laughs> like divots right. and there's like some of like, you know, the solid stuff at the top of a yeah. coconut milk It's like kind of oozing slowly mm. out. But I'm thinking someone will help me with <laughs> this can. I need to throw this away. Yeah. It's probably gone bad. But so I don't recommend. It sounds like they let you down. Yeah, yeah. I went nuts trying to like find the best bathrobe because that's oh. been my big the turn of events in my life is that i've realized i am a robe person tony Love knows that. yeah i never was a robe person i never understood it and then all of a sudden something changed in me and now i live in my robe but i was like i need to uh get other more fashionable robes because this one is big and fluffy and white and not like sleek or anything i'm like i need a sleek elegant robe so I began to read all the robe reviews. Oh, God. There's a real rabbit hole you can go down. But regarding the can opener. Yeah. When I grew up, a can opener was like a rect an electric rectangle <laughs> that you would, in our house at least, you'd put the can in and then you push the lever and it goes. Yeah. This, but they don't, I think they don't make those anymore. I mean, I only got this because I thought about that book is called Blue Zones and it's about like longevity and eating mm -hmm. and they're like, you should do everything on right. your own. Well, no, but I, I you mean, don't even think they're made. I don't. Tony, do you have a can opener? Not a literally just like a manual. One. Yes, that's yeah. what we so have not, too. Not I don't know that they make. And then now my parents have, it looks like a plastic like kidney bean and you just put it on top of the can and then press a button and it, and it kind of goes like, rawr, rawr. And like works its way around, and like forty five minutes later, your can is open. Um, well, I'm in the market, so yeah. I will be researching. It's no, weird. I won't research. I'll just buy. It's I, weird. I can't. Yeah, it's weird that can openers uh, 
aren't electric anymore. You know, I forgot that they ever were. Yeah. But now that you say it, mm-hmm. I, I think I had uh, as a kid a Black and Decker. Yeah. And it's got the two like circular cutting yeah. things. I remember now. I also went down a rabbit hole of um, trying to. D- we got an air fryer. So mm. I'm like, you know what we need? We need like little pincher tong things. And then I was like, I need to get the best ones. So that took a lot of time. I can only imagine. Yeah. Okay. So you do you get like resistance to writing? Like, I don't want to do that today. Or you're just always all about it? No. And one of the things I write a lot about is I don't find um, – I'm never struck by inspiration. Mm. I'm never waiting for an idea to come. Uh-huh. I just sit my ass down. And eventually something will come out, even if it's, I hate this, why am I doing this? Right. But if I just keep the habit going, I've found that just writing begets more writing. Mm. Even if it's shitty and bad or whatever, like keeping that muscle exercised means I'll always, something will come. So I don't really feel the resistance. Right after I finished Glow in the Fucking Dark, I was like, I'm not writing a goddamn word. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just wrote 90,000 of them. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. So I, I took a little break and then I started feeling depressed and like not myself and wondered why. And it was like, duh, I'm not doing the thing that makes mm. me respect me. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. I do have you feel a, resistance? Well, I I have a deadline right now that I'm mm. resisting. And I even have resisted that <laughs> and responding to the text that was like, hey, just checking in to make sure we're on track. And I'm like, well, I'm putting off asking for another week. But um, yeah, I am out of practice. Yeah. So, and I was really rusty getting back into it. Yeah. Um, But I think that if I were to be more disciplined and do something a little more like what you're doing, it would be good because it really like once I sit down and get going, it's fine. It's the making myself sit down and get going that I'm having trouble with. That's the hardest part. Like starting. Yeah. Like, okay, now it's time to sit mm-hmm. is a horrific battle. So that's why I use a timer. Yeah. Because I'm like, you said okay, you said it for sit. an hour. Yeah. An hour at a time and maybe I'll write three to four hours a day. Anything beyond that, I don't understand how anyone would do that. My brain is uh, feels bad. Yeah. Like that's my capacity. But it is write. interesting though that you do it first thing in the morning because I've experienced that as well. Like you – I think I am the most capable of writing. Yeah. Not capable of other stuff but of writing first thing in the morning and then like the day starts seeping in. I think it's – that's the time that I'm the most creative. Mm-hmm. So in my week generally – I want to do anything that actually matters to me and that I actually need my brain for before noon. Because afternoon, yeah. it's like anybody's bet how I'm going to feel <laughs> if I'm going to be just taking a nap at that time. Right. Uh, but in the morning before noon, I feel like I'm on. I'm focused. I am wasting my precious time in the morning on fucking TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> well, not usually not TikTok's like a reward, but like checking in on emails and whatnots. Um, <clears throat> okay, so you wrote By Yourself the Fucking Lilies. It was very successful. That must Thanks. have felt good. Yeah, it also felt like it wasn't happening because mm. the book came out in the first year of the pandemic in late February of 2020. So a lot of the success felt like <laughs> like nothing Yeah, because you couldn't have a party. Right. You couldn't go outside if anyone remembers. Like, yeah. I couldn't meet readers um so it was basically like i was being told it was successful Mm. with no (laughs) visible sign of it right um so if you were so by yourself the lilies is 
if you were to just say, like, so this is, what is it about? Would you say it's about re- learning to reparent yourself? Yeah, and about um, finding rituals and small things that ground you mm-hmm. and give you stability. Because that's what I didn't have. I did not have stability. And then if someone said, okay, so what's glow in the fucking dark about? Yeah. Well, I would say something ridiculous like finding your soul. That's what I would say. So Lily's done. Yay. Life dream. Checked off. Wrote a thing. And I was so relieved. I'm like, oh, my God. I've done so much work. I've gone to so much therapy. I'm done. This is over. I'm healed. I'm I'm perfect. (laughs) And the moment I felt like I Mm -hmm. could stop a little and like even just take a break Mm -hmm. from life and just enjoy it was the moment that I got laid off from Comedy Central. Well, that's going to reinforce that you should never feel satisfied, right? Right. So I this happens, and what I realized is what I was talking about, I didn't realize what the job was standing in for, for all my worth, for all my status. Oh, you didn't realize it till it was gone. Then no. you're like, now I, now I get what it was doing for me. Absolutely. Mm. I got laid off. I'm in my one-bedroom apartment. I have no family in L.A. I don't have a partner. I'm all alone no job. I've been working summers. I've worked my whole life. Mm-hmm. To not have someone else define me yeah. by a job title felt so disorienting. To not have a schedule or somebody else in charge, it uh, it was very disorienting. And I think that's why um, my deepest traumas came to the surface. Mm. And when there was, was room for them? This was I get laid off and all of the sudden it's like full blast, here are all my problems, uh, feeling it bad in my body. Yeah. And I decided I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to do something more important. I'm going to move to Arizona and help in the 2020 election. Like, I'll do that. I won't deal with this self-reflection and these bad feelings I have. So I packed up my apartment, got on the road to go to Arizona, and it was on the road to Arizona where I had the worst associative episode of my life which if you haven't experienced that, first off, great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like you feel all your insights just want to come out. It is an out-of-body experience that feels painful. Um, you know, you, my hands were on the steering wheel, but they didn't feel like my hands. They felt like they were floating mm-hmm. off the steering wheel. And I was going faster and faster. And if you know me and you know my driving, that's not a great idea. <laughs> Wait, I, are you not a good driver? or? Uh, not when I'm speeding down a road. Well, who is, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess a race car driver. But yeah, yeah, they would be good. Yeah. And it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, I need to pull over. This actually isn't safe. And that was a big aha moment of I can't overwhelm myself through life. I can't just keep pushing and going and, and fixing. I actually have to like sit down for a minute and deal with the fact that There's a lot in me that really hurts and that deserves to be cared for. And on the road, I driving, I'm in the Mojave Desert, and uh, the stars were just amazing. It was like I was in a star field. And because we're in LA, where, you know, someone will be like, that's a shooting star. And then you're like, no, that's a satellite. (laughs) You know, or like, no, that's a plane. Right. We can't see stars here. Mm -hmm. So it was like a particularly beautiful moment. And as I looked up, and they're in the pitch black. I'm like, how do I glow? Those stars are doing it. And no one ever disses stars. <laughs> no, no one's ever like, oh, you think you're so great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we all pretty much agree stars are awesome. Yeah. And there's like a fun science fact, which is you are made of stardust. 
not a cutesy thing I wrote on a sweatshirt once. <laughs> you know, you actually are. The iron in your blood, the carbon in your muscles comes from stars. Mm. And what I, I what I really needed in that moment was to think, wow, okay, so whatever problems I have inside, like my core, I am fucking stardust. And stardust is awesome. So I have to have something awesome and essential in me. And what was really helpful was that wasn't a thought. Mm-hmm. That's not a belief. That is true. The truth, yeah. That's just the truth. And so I could come back to that again and again. And so this book, Glow in the Fucking Dark, is finding that glow. Because I think what happens is you always have the glow. You always have the stardust. But everything else gunks it up. Yeah. Everything. I, I feel like online people are debating, like, you shouldn't say fix yourself. Like, you can't be damaged. I'm like – Wait, what? I didn't. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I'm so aware of so many super fucking annoying things online. But this is a new one I didn't know about. Yeah. People would be like, well, you can't be damaged. You, 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 you're, you're, you're good enough as you are. Right. Like those kinds of things. Okay. I'm like, hold up. What world are you living in? I'm damaged as shit. Stuff has happened. And that's not necessarily my fault. I don't have to like blame myself. Right. But a lot does happen to all of us. Yeah. And it's, it's not about denying that. Right. You know, it's about the, just yeah. uh, it's it's about acknowledging, mm-hmm. working through it, right, and returning to who you are. So what? And I know this is not the point, but yeah. I just got stuck in this. Please. What are you supposed to say instead of I don't fix know. yourself? Like I, I really Chan making some changes, even yeah. though I was fine before. It's it's like I'm I'm like good as I am. I'm oh. I'm one hundred percent good, which I actually do yeah. agree with, uh, right, well, at a certain you, level. But it's this denial that we can fix ourselves. Yeah. There's been like – and I think it's because there's been too much wellness stuff. Totally. To, you know, to the point where people – some people that ask me um, – I teach a lot about journaling. I write a lot about journaling. And they'll be like, I'm so guilty. I didn't journal. Like, what do you do when you fall off your practice? I'm like, first of all, you don't freak out. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just a journal. Yeah. And you were doing it to help yourself in the first place. Right. It's not, it's not, there's not a test. No. No it's, one's measuring it. No, it's like you can't hate yourself to your own health. Like, pause. Yeah. Wow, it's even cool that you're journaling and you can return to it. So I think there's um an unnecessary backlash towards, like, fix. Right. You know, right. when it's some of us actually uh, need it. Like mm-hmm. some of us actually are living yeah. in uh, utter misery and need to fix that situation if we want to own our right. lives. And also you have all the the work you did was you were in therapy at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you are you I assume you're still in therapy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like so if someone I don't know who this person is, but imaginary person who's like you did all this yourself, like it was with the care of a therapist as oh. well. Absolutely. I'm a huge proponent of therapy for me too. Yeah. And a lot of this book is about I've been really privileged to have excellent therapy. And I don't think that it should be in an ivory tower of expense. I know. And so um, in the book, for example, the chapter Loneliness is My Superpower, there's an amazing form of therapy called internal family systems. Mm. Are you aware of it? I don't. Maybe. I'm not sure. It basically – you're not just one authentic self. You have lots of voices mm-hmm. within you. And if you've ever said, I feel this way, but I also feel that way about mm-hmm. making a decision, you know it to be true. You have d- different right. places. And um, the founder of this type of therapy, Dr. Richard Schwartz, because – Oh, I have heard of this. I yeah. heard a podcast about it. Yeah. I feel like it's really like picked up steam. Mm-hmm. I-, I think it's one of the most effective – 
forms of therapy and is free for everybody. Is the like, idea that like you've internalized parental voices? It's more that you had to cope with things and mostly we learn our coping mechanisms when we're really young mm-hmm. and it's what we do to survive, but it's not necessarily what would serve us as an adult. Got it. So you're trying to help those voices. Yeah. You're, live the life that they should have lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because I wrote Lily's, I was able to cold email Dr. Richard Schwartz, start talking to him, have him read the chapter and have him like oversee the worksheet that's in the book. That's great. And so for like, I feel like it's part of my duty to use all this therapy, use all the countless resources mm-hmm. that were poured into me to talk about this stuff in a funnier non-cheesy right relatable like here's how it applies Mm -hmm. like it's better to do than to think about it Mm -hmm. and so that that's really what i'm trying to provide so yeah therapy is a big part of this yeah when did you realize your parents were not well i'll use myself as as an example um so i have all, all sorts of stuff to talk about in therapy about my upbringing but <clears throat> for the first two years that I was in therapy, I did not say anything negative about my parents because I believed that I, you know, I was like, it's like, I don't, I don't get it. Like I have the best parents in the world. Yeah. They're still together. Da, da, da. I don't know why I'm struggling in the ways I am, why I feel the ways I am because like I, I it must be something wrong with me because I came, I come from a great family. Like yeah. that's what I believed. And it's, you know, taken a while to sort of see things a little more clearly. Yeah. Um, and my understanding is that most children don't have the capacity to like hold negative thoughts about their parents because it's too threatening. So yeah. it turns into like, there's something wrong with me or this. Or, so at what point did you start realizing like, this is not how it should be? Pretty early. Um, you know, particularly, particularly with my mom, because in the book, there were physical violations, you know, and so I – when I saw her, whenever I'd see my mom, my impulse would be jump, run, go. <laughs> I couldn't be near her skin. Mm. It um, immediately sent me into panic. Yeah. And I knew that was weird. I, I didn't know like specifics right. or is this bad, is this good. I just knew it was weird because it felt so weird. Like what age was that? Young. I don't even like earliest memories. Yeah. Interesting. Like okay. I, I remember being on a vacation and I remember my mom having um a champagne cocktail and I remember just wanting to run yeah. as far as I could away from her. And I have lots of like um those kinds of mm-hmm. things. And you know, but then you ask yourself, was that real? Did that yeah. violation really happen like we're talking about before? Right. And what I realized is if you have these feelings and they're in your body, uh, something happened. <laughs> like you can just trust that if you feel that bad, if yeah. these things – and if you're even questioning this thing, uh, it probably happened because if it didn't happen, why would you feel so 10 out of 10 shame violation when you just think about this thing? I have so many things like that uh, where I'll mention in therapy and I'll be like, I, I don't know if that really happened. Like I remember it in mm. my therapist to be like, I'm sure it did. Yeah. Because it's just like, it sounds like that's too weird. It's it, too why? like, what? And, you know, yeah. And even if, let's say it didn't happen. Something did. Some, right. And it's real to you. So yeah. you have to deal with it. It's it's this, I should feel better. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I didn't have it the worst. 
which I think is kind of what you're describing, I think a lot of us feel that way. I didn't have the worst case scenario, so I should be fine. Yeah. I should be good. Right. I mean, I yeah, I should just man up or something. Yeah. And it's like, why? Right. <laughs> like, right. Who are, like, who are you helping exactly yeah, totally. by, by doing that? When you say physical violations, what do you mean? I mean, so my mom was a doctor, and so she would, um, from really young, like, investigate my body. Oh, okay. And the the pretense was that she was your doctor or something and she's just checking but when i remember back i was just screaming mm-hmm. and i can remember being on the gray carpet of her bathroom screaming crying pleading please don't touch me oh gosh and when i now as an adult i if i think of a friend's kid on the floor like that i would call the police yeah. if you tried to do that to me now i would fight you Mm. and that's how i've kind of um i've reframed things for myself to be like well if my best friend's daughter doesn't deserve that i didn't deserve it either and it really is bad if me as an adult would call the police right you know and so i think sometimes we don't have any self-compassion for those kinds of experiences and i (laughs) one thing that really works is then imagine someone you love in that situation yeah and all those feelings you'd have towards them turn towards you. Right. Yes. My my husband and I find ourselves doing that with our kids all the time. Like mm-hmm. we'll be, you know, there's like some aspect of us that we feel shame about or we don't have compassion for. And then it's like, but imagine or or when we were kids that we feel embarrassed yeah. about I was that way as a kid. And it's like, but if Elliot or Owen was like that, we just think it's adorable. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um so the dissociative episode. Mm-hmm. In what way is like how how is that different and similar than a panic attack? Well, the way I describe it was mine was the unwanted love child of a dissociative mm. episode in a panic attack. I don't know the technical difference, right. but normally when I'm panicked, I'm not sick. Mm-hmm. And this, I was it. You feel physically ill, right? And like you're floating. Whereas panic, I experience like in my chest a mm-hmm. lot of like racing heart, racing right. mind. So I was feeling in and out of those two states, yeah. which was not fun. No, especially when you're driving. Oh, well. It sounds horrifying. Yeah, that was like, oh, this is a safety issue. And actually the way I'm living my life is not safe. Yeah. This feels like sandpaper on the soul. Just constant, like, I need a promotion. I need more money. I need, I need, I need. Right. Like you're not, I guess the part that I'm relating to is the idea of like, I am not okay as is, so I need to keep putting Band-Aids on. Absolutely. With external validation. And getting somewhere else. Yeah. Unable to stay here, unable to see the success that you already do have. Mm -hmm. And just, I was blindly going into the future needing to be the quote-unquote best. Mm -hmm. And um, that was hurting me. And Mm -hmm. I kind of realized it's physically hurting me at this point. Like, I don't want to have a dissociative episode of this. So, like, how these days, how, you know, how are you? Not to be annoying, <laughs> but my therapist said that maybe I should stop going to therapy. Really? She's like, it's time to start tapering. And I said, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Here are four other things I want to work on. Um, but I feel the best of my entire life. That's amazing. I I, I never thought that I could be liberated from my past. Mm-hmm. I now know you absolutely can be. And it's not a miracle, just like writing, not a stroke of inspiration from Mm -hmm. God. It's habits. It's treating yourself well every single day, the decision to treat yourself well. 
And I I have moments um for sure where I'm so stressed, so depressed, all you know, all these things, but actually overall the most content, the most stable and just like learning to enjoy. You know, I really feel like How I do can you do it? <laughs> I I mean it took 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and it two books worth of stuff that I tried and even I can't enjoy things all the time. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'd say is <clears throat> I'm in the best shape of my life and I'm so grateful. I I'm grateful to be alive. That would that would be the answer. Do you have a gratitude practice? I sure do. And what is it? Um, So I write 10 things I'm grateful for every morning. I've done that for 10 years or 11 years now. Um, And because I've done it that much, I think it had a huge impact because that volume Mm -hmm. – and and I didn't start grateful. Um, A very waspy Harvard (laughs) – she'd gone to Harvard. Then she'd become a professional ballerina. And then she had become – she was trying to become a doctor. She saw me having a panic attack and said – do you have a gratitude practice? Oh my god, I hate her. I, I, I was livid. It was like every fuck in my blood was boiling up. Yeah. And I was like, she's like, you should try it. I'm like, you should try dying. Like, <laughs> this is misery. And yeah. I, I was, and I was like, also, what do I have to be grateful for? You know what would make me grateful if I had your life? Mm, yeah. Like, you don't know me. You have no idea what I've been through. I had such a chip on my shoulder. Mm. And then I started writing a gratitude list and I, you know, what am I grateful for? Ugh, I hate because this. Of, because she mentioned it? Yeah. Like out of spite? I'm spiteful as yeah. shit. <laughs> I, like I, most of the things I've done in these books is because I wanted to prove somebody else mm-hmm. was wrong and I was smarter and better than them. So I took on this gratitude practice and I wrote down things like espresso, water. And then I'm like, oh, my sister, <laughs> my health. <laughs> whoa, like I actually do have a lot to be grateful for and it re- as annoying as it is and it is annoying, it completely reframes your life mm-hmm. because instead of um, focusing solely on the negative, right. it forces you to see the reality that there's actually a lot of beauty in most of our yeah. lives. And it's, it's, it's not toxic positivity. It's just holding that both things are true. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not turning away from the grief. Right. Like, I always talk about uh, gratitude in relation to grief. That those two things are usually uh, holding hands in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I have a gratitude practice. Now I'm trying to pare it down because if you do something too long, it's just not fresh. Right. It kind of loses its. Yeah. Do you find in doing the 10 thing? Because there was a period of time where I was doing I was doing three things each day because I'm not an overachiever, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I it's like it's, it felt a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm pairing back mm-hmm. to three things. Okay. And trying to make them all about relationships mm-hmm. or experiences and then writing in detail what mm. happened because I don't know about you guys, but when something good happens to me, it basically is oh, gone. Yeah. Before mm-hmm. I even noticed it happened, yeah. I don't stop, pause, I don't take it in at all. And what I'm realizing is that the more I take in, pause, and like savor that yeah. moment – the more I actually can return to those mm-hmm. moments when I'm down right. uh, and live in a world where those moments are possible. But if I don't stop and really take it in, yeah, it's like it didn't happen. Right. So so now in my gratitude practice, I'm trying to just like remember these moments and remember how they feel. Um, and 10 things is too much for me now. And especially they were getting really listy. Mm-hmm. I agree. And things were like the same. Yeah. Um, so is this in your hour of writing? 
This is separate from it. Separate. So it's usually, it's a 20 minute, it's completely stolen from Julia Cameron's The Artist Ways. Okay. Which I have, but I haven't done. It is the only reason I think I could become a writer was because of that book. Mm, I should probably get into it. Yeah. I had so much fear, uh, felt like such a fraud, all those things until that book. And Mm -hmm. that book I come back to again and again. But basically, you write three pages of just word vomit first thing in the morning. Do you do it longhand? Yes. That is such a stumbling block for me. But You mean like like, as opposed to a computer? Yes. Just because my – I just like my penmanship has gotten – I don't even – I feel like I don't have the hand strength because I'm – not opening enough cans. I figured I didn't have the hand strength. It's like it goes so slow and I can't read my writing. And I have that I sh- same issue. Yeah, yeah, I'm just used to a keyboard. Well, her thing is nobody else is looking at these pages, including yeah. you. Yeah. Like you're just writing right. stuff just down. Barfing it out. Yeah. And for me, it's like the mind body connection. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a note taker. That's how I remember anything. Mm-hmm. So like I have to do it, but whatever gets the job done. Right. You yeah. know, like whatever you're comfortable with. Right. Um, but that's that's my warm up. So it usually takes me twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and then it's either I'll go forty more or I'll go an hour more. But th- that's sort of the the beginning of writing. And so then, when do you do the gratitude list in the journaling? It's the thing I close with. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. So I ask myself every morning, "How do I feel?" Because I'm bad at labeling or knowing how I feel. And one of the first things in Glow in the Fucking Dark is my own emotion wheel Mm. um, because my life had come down to I'm busy, tired, sad, bad, blah. Like those are like the only words to describe all my emotions. Um, So how do I feel? Just get in touch with that. Uh, Because if you know how you feel, you can usually make a decision about it. Mm. You do something about it. Right. And then I just word vomit, then gratitude practice. Then I start writing. It's a play-by-play of my mornings. You know, the the weirdest thing that I found – it's actually not weird at all that I find it helpful. It's we, It was weird to me. I'll just say what it is instead of front-loaded like this. Um, when I'm struggling with something, I've started making a pro and con list, which I feel like mm-hmm. is so, like, obvious. And it had been suggested to me a million times. And I was like, that's, like, so it, – it's too reductionist and it's too basic. But somehow in the course of – jotting it down that's when i realize how i really feel that's when it starts coming to me it's almost like two little journal entries absolutely i think getting things out of your head and Mm -hmm. on paper always has some kind of effect on you yeah you know and i can totally see why that would right yeah it's it's like i've learned this before and yet i don't do it enough i've learned like you know i can sit here with all my thoughts and think them through and stuff but i don't really get to the same places that I do if I just start to put it on paper. Yeah, and all this stuff is, it's like marketing. You have to be hit with it like 50 times (laughs) before it sticks in your head and then you forget it two years later. Right. You know, it's like constant reminder, constant doing. I screw up all the time and then like one lesson I have to relearn over and over is external validation will never get me anywhere. Yeah. It's like a monthly struggle I'm like, how many more times do I have to learn this lesson? Right. But and, doesn't, you know, it won't get you anywhere, but it sure does feel good in the moment. I don't even feel good in the really? moment. Really? No. How did you get to there? How I don't get know. Get to the place where it doesn't even feel good. Because I'm bad at, um, just like I'm bad at savoring when a good thing happens, I don't hear it. Mm. I, con- I don't hear compliments. They okay. just bounce off of me and not even go into from it. the Australian mates. 
You know what? You Training just actually needs? found. I felt really good, and I'm taking those. See? So I guess it in, has to be general. <laughs> it has to be general and uh, like something that affirming everyone's affirming <laughs> and for physical work. Yeah, maybe. maybe. But yeah, um, they don't make me feel good. They never help me long term, and usually I actually feel pretty bad about myself because I either feel too needy. Like mm. I had to get that compliment. Like in the writing of Glow, I would say to my editor. Con- at my editor email her constantly like do you like it is it good is it a good book what do you think what do you think what do you think and i started to just get embarrassed yeah i'm like why am i pleading with someone who's publishing my book why am mm-hmm. i pleading for her to tell me i'm good right and after i stopped asking those questions and the more and more i'm like it kind of doesn't matter it's what you think it's, it's what i think and if my self-worth is tied to something external Oh, no, because mm-hmm. uh, it can always be taken away. It yeah. really has to be unshakable, untakeawayable. I own this. Um, but again, I have to learn that lesson like a billion times. Yeah, it's hard. I guess for me, the the kind of external validation I'm talking about is like, this is such a stupid example. But I remember I went on, I was a guest on Joe Rogan years ago. Cool. And <laughs> the next day, it was like, or maybe it was even that. Well, I forget if, if it aired live or whatever, but it's just like, oh my God, my Twitter mentions are all like, there's just tons of people tweeting me saying how much they like me. And like, that felt like a drug. Yeah. Um, and then a couple other times, like having a, you know, a guest with like a ton of followers. I feel like it doesn't even happen anymore because Twitter's different now. Yeah. But back then, like having a guest with a ton of, you know, like a million or two million followers tweeting something and then all of a sudden just, yeah, maybe it's just all Twitter-based. How sad. Well, <laughs> at least you recognize it. Yeah. Then you can do something yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean, that I have definitely realized, like, this is uh, a mirage. This is not real. Yeah. It just feels like, you know, it feels like it's filling up an empty spot, but it's not. Um. Okay. Do you happen to have a Just Me or Everyone? Yes. Okay, we have a song. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right, let's hear your Just Me or Everyone. Okay, so is it just me or everyone? But when I'm watching TV, if something is like tense is going to happen. It's like a murder mystery and oh no, it's going to happen. Or something I think is embarrassing is about to happen, like on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm. I have to fast forward through it. Fat, not not fast, like um, so that I can see what happens. Yeah. I can see the outcome. Right. And then I can go back and watch the thing. But I can't, I cannot stand tense moments mm-hmm. at all. Uh, in comedies, Tragedies, whatever. So is are other people doing that? That's for sure not just you. Right? Yeah. I don't know that I've actually done that. I think because I feel so like not agile and nimble with the fast forward. Like yeah. I'm just I feel like I'm like like a moth trying to get out of a room <laughs> or something. But I have definitely when I'm reading something for, so I I, feel, I relate to what you're saying. I thought maybe you were going to say you have to like cover your eyes because I'll no, do I like the can't. finger lattice. I do that sometimes. Um, or I'll say if especially if it's something that Daniel's already seen, I'll be like, does something bad happen? Does something, you know, like I, I need I need to know where we're going. Yeah. But I am notorious 
notorious. The whole world, I'm infamous um, for like reading the last page at the beginning, uh, or I have to like go ahead and then go back. And also, I spoil things for myself on Wikipedia all the time. <laughs> I can't help it because, because you want to know. Yeah, and yeah. I'm impatient. I get it, I'm and I tell myself too. it doesn't affect it. But um, I can't imagine you're the only one who does this. It's scary. I like these characters. I don't want something bad yeah. to happen. Yeah. I want a good outcome. Right. Now, Tony, I feel like you're the, you would never do this because you're mm. one of those like let it unfold kind of people. Yeah. I like to see where it goes. And I, and I, do you hate I, spoilers? Uh, yeah. Probably like depending on the thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if it's something I'm really into, I hate it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'll let them play out because I weirdly, I think when it, you know, I'm just watching. I'm not living that moment. And I like I kind of enjoy mm. being wrapped up in that mm. tense moment when I, like if it was a real life situation that I was a part of, I would absolutely <laughs> hate it and I'd want to fast forward that. Right. Do you think but, maybe it's because you are sensitive and empathetic? Yes. You're just feeling it too much. It also manifests in um, I love The Real Housewives and and Vanderpump Which Rules. Which we need to talk about, yeah. All, I love that universe. But I have to stop watching, like take breaks because I find myself talking like them and saying, <laughs> right. she's such a bitch. Like, I can't <laughs> believe it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't tell the difference between a character and me. <laughs> like, that I think is a huge, like that empathy, right? weird, like no boundaries between me and somebody else. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why I have to fast forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And do you have, uh, uh, do you need to tell anyone to go fuck themselves? Yes. All billing departments of all medical anything. Why? Why? Why do you want to ruin my life and you can go fuck yourself? I I'm livid all the time about this. Yes. Especially as a freelancer. I didn't know how good I had it in a corporation Mm -hmm. where like the health insurance mostly paid for everything. Now I get bills like a year later. Like they they refuse to let you pay up front. Mm I got an MRI uh, last week. I called the insurance company. How much is this MRI going to cost? We don't know. I called the MRI company. How much is this MRI going to cost? Uh, we don't know. I called the doctor's office. How much is this MRI going to cost? Nobody knew oh. how much the MRI was going to cost. So I just got it. I'm like, well, I literally cannot get an answer to my question. So I am like 10 out of 10 angry at the uh, whole billing apparatus of our country. Hey, billing apparatus, I, apparatus. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Apparati? Apparatuses? I don't know. Uh, yes, but also health insurance. Ugh. And the, the state of insurance right now. Like, uh, didn't it just come out that Cigna, who I have, by the way, there was someone at Cigna who was like, looking at each claim for like 1.2 seconds. Like they denied like 3,000 claims in a day. or They did the math and showed just how they deny first. And that has been my experience. Yeah. And it's just the amount of the, the headache required to get things sorted out is so annoying that like right now there's calls I need to make to because just the billing department of like I got, what did I, I think I got a pap smear or something, yeah. which something that should have been covered. Um, and then I got a bill from some guy named Gary <laughs> in, like, a, in a different city. And I'm like, who is this? But it was, I think maybe it was something, something was sent to this guy and their office billed me 
And it was only $75. Yeah. But still. So I just paid it. I did not understand why I was being charged for it when I know that this is covered. Right. And then I called them and I, I paid it because it was like my last notice. And I'm not a last. This just shows how much I agree with your hey, go fuck yourself. I'm not a last notice person. Like I pay everything on time. But for some reason, when I get a bill for $10 from like a, a medical appointment from two years ago, I'm like, I'm going to let this ride. I, I can't even yeah. look at it. Yeah. I'm already angry. Right. <laughs> right. So I paid it. And then I called. Uh, and they said like, oh yeah, we just didn't have your insurance. I don't know why. So I gave them my insurance and they, this is like months ago. They said, we'll bill your insurance. And if they pay, then we'll pay you back. So I, this is going to be one of those things where it's like, if I want that $75, I'm going to have to make a number of phone calls. Yeah. And then I always think there's so many people in this position who don't have the time in their day to make the phone call. You know, it's just, it's so, it's just fucked. Much less insurance. Yeah. I mean, yes. like, this whole thing is so goddamn crazy. I actually asked in therapy for like these adult things like bills, should I just pad it with four hours per thing that happens? Oh my God. Because that's approximately how much like time it takes it, to it, untangle it yes that's so fucked up yes i i got i was in debt collections i this was a week ago i get this like super aggressive yeah. piece of mail that has nowhere on it that it's like special mail i should read it looks like something to throw away mm -hmm. open it up it's like you are in debt collections you have 30 days from today or this is reported for your credit i'm like what is this i look at it it's something from 2020 it's uh some like lab test mm -hmm. i call them they're like, oh, your insurance denied this claim and we couldn't find you. I'm like, did you try to call me? They seem to find you uh, it, with this bill. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, good point. I never even thought of that. Yeah. They did find yeah. me. Um, and he's like, okay, let me pull the claim up. He looks at it. What was the problem? The laboratory didn't put my insurance number in it. That's what happened to me. It's exactly. Yeah. I'm like, this is you. This is your job. This is Why? literally your job. So your job. Yeah, it's um. But doesn't it miserable? Doesn't it seem like? And I think people have conf people who work for insurance companies have confirmed this, like the incompetence benefits them. Oh, big time! That uh, to try to get reimbursed for my therapy, yeah. I had sent in all these claims. I just called because I sent them in in um, December. Mm. And the woman on the phone is like, well, on the website, it does say that the claim section is in beta. And what? I'm like, what? You, what? <laughs> so your answer is that like it's an untested new thing, your claims portal. And she's like, yes, I need to file an IT report. They will get back to you in oh, 10 no. days. I'm just like – and of course, she's like, yes, they will definitely call you in 10 days. They will Obviously, though. no. You're going to have to call. Yeah. Oh, it's I'm going to have to like track this yeah. down. But that was like the best was it's, it's in beta. beta. <laughs> this is our number one thing we do. Yeah. Although I will say being able to submit claims through the portal, uh, you don't have Cigna, do you? No. Okay. I have Blue Shield. Because I'm like, shit, is mine in, in beta too? Because it used to be I had to mail in like a whole document yeah. with my thing. And it was a huge pain in the ass. And now I can do it online except that one didn't go through it. I'm like, but I know that I upload anyway. Welcome to healthcare <laughs> chat. Um, okay. We need to talk Vanderpump. Yes. I need to know anything you'd like to share about that experience because I am deep in, in VPR world. Okay. So I was asked to be a bartender on Watch What Happens Live. And I was like, 
my book is about finding your soul. Like, <laughs> is this a tone match? And then, like, one second later, I'm like, it's Andy Cohen, bitch. Like, I will be there. <laughs> like, definitely going to do this. Um, it's super fun. I'd done it one time before. Oh, who were the guests last time? The last time it was um, Gigi, whatever, Gondolesa. I don't. I didn't watch her. Sh- it was not. Is it one fan. of the Real Housewives? No, oh. she was a some other show. I don't okay. even remember. And then someone from Below Deck, oh, like Below Deck. yacht something. It was oh, like something. I don't know if I saw that. Yeah, season, or that particular Below Deck version. But um, so I was anyway. happy to be on, but yeah. it wasn't like so connected uh-huh. to, the, to the quote unquote characters. This one, I found out it was going to be Sheena and Raquel, and so this is like uh, two months ago that this happened. And so I'm just excited. I'm going to meet Vanderbilt Rules and I'm like, tipsy. Like, you don't make drinks, obviously, but I'm definitely pounding spicy margaritas on stage, <laughs> just like having a blast. And afterwards, oh, during it, there was one weird moment where there was a game, which was like, who's hotter? Oh, yes. This was like the big, the, the tell. big reveal in the moment. So Raquel is confronted with Tom Sandoval or Tom Schwartz. She, on the show, she's been hooking up with Tom Schwartz. Right. But she chose Sandoval, Ariana's beau. So weird that she did that if she's hide it, trying totally. to hide it. Totally. And everyone in the room was like, <gasps> did you also have that reaction? Oh, yeah. We all looked weird. I think um, Andy Cohen was like, huh. <laughs> like, we're all like, huh. Um, right. And then, oh, my God, I just realized I'm on a podcast. And if I tell this story fully, I'm telling this story fully. Wow. Okay. Well, I hope I don't get sued. Um, it's this not, is all allegedly. It let this all allegedly happen. This is all an opinion. Yeah. So um, then I go backstage, and the, Sheena is so nice. And then I have to. Remember, That's what I've heard about her. She's like oh, the nicest in the world. So nice. Um, I'm giving her a copy of my book. She's like, "Do you want to take a picture with me in your book?" I'm like, "You're so generous, so chill." Um, and I think in the show they portray her as like needy mm-hmm. and like annoying. And I was like, "You are." Not that way yeah. at all. I totally see this. But I go to Raquel and I give her my book and she says something like, is Glennon Doyle blurbed your book? And I'm like, yeah, she she did. And she just starts crying. Oh, my God. She like is sobbing. And I want to say like drop to the floor. <laughs> but I'm like in my memory, I'm like, is that possible that that happened? It was a very dramatic moment. Mm-hmm. And then I get super weird and I start saying to her, you were an abusive relationship. James Kennedy was no good. Like, I don't know her. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I'm just like, I don't even know what reaction I'm having. Um, And, and was, she presumably is crying because Glennon Doyle blurbed your book or? No, it's something. Some, she okay. must have like read Glennon Doyle, okay. you know, been moved by her books or something. There was something raw because it obviously was not about a blurb. Like when Glennon blurbed, glow i i didn't cry (laughs) like i was happy but i didn't drop to the floor sobbing this is a that's an intense reaction that she had it was very yeah strange and at the time um my agent was with me and i was like well that was very weird Mm. and then the next day it comes out that allegedly we don't know that sheena hit raquel in the face at a bar and the whole scandal erupts that's the night it all came out exactly and so what i think it obviously she just wasn't in a good place yeah like the crying obviously wasn't about me it hadn't like i could have not been there and Mm -hmm. she would have had the same moment right i just happened to be in her dressing room at that time yeah so things were weird before 
And I, and then I was like looking back on the whole episode. I'm like, huh. I wonder how much of that energy was like already present. Yeah. So, but presumably this mo- the crying moment with you is before Sheena has confronted her, right? Yes, absolutely. Because we hadn't all left the studio yet. So this happens before. So I just were think- she and Sheena being as far as you could tell, everything oh, was fine between every- them. They seem like great friends. Mm-hmm. Um. It just now I'm like, oh, there was some emotional stuff. There was yeah, something brewing. Right. Um, and then just independently from that, I have a good authority that every A-lister, A-lister, people you wouldn't imagine watch this show have reached out to Ariana with shows of support. Like all of Hollywood, like the A-list yeah. of Hollywood is just like, we love you, Ariana, which I agree with. And I'm really, I'm happy to hear that, yeah, yeah. The, the people are with Ariana. Yeah, everyone's team Ariana. Oh, yeah. I Except mean, everyone is, however. So I had Peter Madrigal on my show. Oh. He's coming, yeah, and he's coming back on, he's coming back next week. Oh, wow. Um, in the comments there, because the internet is the internet, that's where you see some people who are like, Oh, what's the big deal? Everyone cheats. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like that's where you see some like team yeah. Tom, team Raquel people. But um, it's just so curious. I just wonder what was going on with her that made her so emotional at that point. Like, is it because I mean, maybe she just walks around in that state. Is it because she had said the thing about Sandoval and she felt that was weird? Did she feel like from you that you were a safe space with, you know? Well, I will say that people tell me a lot about yeah. themselves. I don't know what it is about my energy or something, but people will just. You like, have like a, a open, non-judgmental kind vibe. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and I think so. Stuff like Meditated this has happened to me yeah. before, right? Um, but it was never in this context of like a TV show about a scandal, right? About Vanderpump Rules. Like I, I was like, I'm in the eye of the storm. Yeah. I like don't know how I got here. I'm trying to promote a book about like rescuing your soul. Yeah, like, but it was it's um it's like. And since then, it's like the number one question I get asked is, what was going on? Right. Like, what so, was happening? So then after you did the show, did you go out or what did you do? I went to bed. I was like dead tired. Um, but I got some advice not to further engage, like not to hang, that there was – if things were messy – um, I'm like really kind of like editing my – I've never been in a position before where I was telling a story where I was like – huh, like, I wonder if I'm a lot, like, does that make me sound bad to, like, talk about this story? Or, like, will there be a legal repercussion? Because um, I'm always talking about myself. Yeah. Not, um, but- Wait, who could, well, now I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question, but I don't want to, like, further put you in jeopardy. But uh, if, if, if the question I ask needs to get cut out, then it can't. Okay. But, like, I'm unclear why from whom there would be legal action. Well, not legal, but so I exchanged numbers with both Sheena and Raquel. We all okay. live in LA. It was like, let's hang, that kind of thing. And then afterwards, someone on my team was like, dude, that's too messy. Like, don't – and I just feel bad saying that, oh. that like I was told don't hang with these people who I'm sure did not want to hang with me and were just being nice and giving me their numbers, you know? <laughs> I can't imagine that I really would be kicking back with Sheena. Um, But it was just like, stay away from this. This is a mess. This is a toxic mess that you don't want to be like further involved in. The person on your team who said that, they already knew what was shaking out with them? Yeah. It was like a week later when when I was talking about like, 
I kind of want to like reach, reach out. out. Yeah. Like, is that weird? And she was like, very weird. <laughs> don't do it. You don't know them. I was like, all right. So I don't know that I agree. Really? Do you well, think I should reach out? I mean, Sheena was just cool. Yeah. Like I'd reach out to Sheena anyway just to be like, hey, I thought you were cool. What's up? I think the person on your team has a lot more information than I do. So I don't want to go against who this person is. Yeah. Uh, and also I do have an agenda as someone who's like, yes, be friends with them. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. God, I, I'm un- like, I'm uncomfortable to giving you advice different than this person, especially because they might listen to this podcast. But um, I don't know. I mean, you felt like you hit it off with her there? Yeah, like genuinely. Yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like nice a, though. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a what what could a text hurt? I think maybe in like two months. Yeah. So that I don't seem like a vulture, like I need a piece of this. Yeah. You know, uh, I could reach out. But right. I, what's weird, I'm having like a little bit of a like out of body is I've never been around something like juicy before. Right, right. Like I've never been around a scandal. So yeah. I don't know how to act. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I'm like, oh, this thing happened. But like, can I talk about it? Can I not? Nothing real happened. You know, like I wasn't witness to right. the actual affair. Mm-hmm. But I was witness to like some weird emotions yeah. before it all broke. Well, I, I I do understand that feeling of like, I don't, like it feels like cheap or something, but I mean, it's, but also like you legitimately were there. You legitimately yeah. <laughs> have, you know, your narrative of, not narrative makes us, you, you legitimately have your memory of what happened. Yeah. I and think it it's okay. is a national scandal. This Isn't is it one of the biggest stories. I've explained it to my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I forget why I had to bring it up. It I related to something. Um, yeah, it's it's nuts how huge it's been. Huge, huge, huge story. Yeah. Um, and I also want to say Vanderpump Rules is a very like that is the most garbage. Uh, like not good. It's not good for you. It's like a and I'm addicted. <laughs> yeah. That's like the only drug I think I take at this point is mm-hmm. Vanderpump Rules. I don't think I'm fully caught up. However. It is crazy now. Like, are you of the mind? Let me let me put it back. I mean, I am more and more of again. Not to, I don't think I said the last episode, but like more and more, it's like wait. A lot of people did seem to have questions about them. Yeah. They did seem to know because when it first came out, it was like what? But then as you watch the season, it's like someone point blank was asking him, "Did you hook up with her?" Like it's yeah. I'm not caught up either, but I was shocked when I think it was maybe Charlie yeah. said something like. Uh, uh, Sandoval was at the Abbey dancing with her one time. I'm like, so you all knew. Yeah. If if I saw that happening, I'm like, oh, well. Right. Obviously. And it it keeps coming up. Yeah. Right. And they all act so shocked. Yeah. This was like, uh, Tom Schwartz said, like, I didn't know until like a week ago. Of course he knew. Of course he knew. I mean, I feel, yeah. So I asked uh, Peter Madrigal, like, do you think Schwartz, do you think Schwartz knew? And he's like, I don't know, but those guys are like brothers. I it's unimaginable yeah. to me that he it's unimaginable to me that most people didn't know. Right. You know? Cuz they're literally talking about it already in the show and I'm not even caught up. Like but we saw not this episode but yeah. the week before that there were questions. Right. I think they all knew. I think it was an inside job. They all knew what was up. I kind of think maybe. And like <sighs> I really don't care for Raquel. Although I did 
feel so I have found myself feeling sorry for her at times. Yeah. Which was the created some cognitive dissonance for me. That ended though for me once once she was um ma- making out with Schwartz. Yeah. I, like, right. Come on. But like, that the Vegas not trip. divorced. Yeah. Like right. Like who does I don't like that. It's yeah. just not nice. And so do you think Schwartz, do you think that whole thing was just to like just a ruse? To like get Katie mad? No, to throw people off of oh. her and Sandoval. I think probably both things were just yeah. happening. Yeah. So I think it was a shit show. And I think all these things are happening at once. I know. And what a night for you to be there. That's very, very yeah. exciting. I feel like I was in the room where it happened. You like were. Hamilton style. Yes. Like, I saw the deal. <laughs> like, And you write about this or wrote about this in your newsletter, right? Which is why I felt like as I was doing the mental – you have a very big podcast. And so I was doing the mental like – well, but I did write about it for the paid subscribers of my Substack, so it's already out there. Yeah. Truly, that was like my train of thought. And I was like, well, okay, then I'll probably, yeah. But yeah, I did write about it uh, for paid subscribers. But if people want to get in on that, where do they go? On the action of the Sandoval? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the Abbey, apparently. No, on the action of your paid Substack. Oh, so you go to tarashuster.substack.com and I have a free newsletter where I every week talk about a self-care tip in a very practical, like you can just incorporate this into your life. You do not need to move to the woods or blow everything up. <laughs> like just read this. And then paid subscribers get um, journaling prompts every week and activities. And uh, I will respond to like everyone. I love responding to their comments and questions. It's, it's that whole connection thing. So That's so great. Yeah, taraschuster.substock dot com or on instagram yeah tara schuster i'm yeah, I was, always chatting okay so it's tara t-a-r-a schuster s-c-h-u-s-t-e-r the books are by yourself the fucking lilies and glow in the fucking dark do you say it as fucking or do you like effing how do you say it normally i say fucking i'm having a mental crisis about if the second book should have been called glow in the fucking dark oh, or not do you tell because okay so i feel my, like it's your brand I really struggle. Like in my proposal for that book, it was glow in the fucking dark. Mm -hmm. And then I had a change of heart, which was I don't want to be known as the fucking girl. (laughs) You know, like I'm a real writer. (laughs) Like I don't want this to be like I don't think it's gimmicky. I get what you're saying. So that's what okay, thank you for saying that. Cause recently I've been like, Am I like gimmicky? Like, how did I end up here? No, I think me, my take on it, and I don't like things that are super gimmicky, is like it's clever branding and it like makes a little link between the two and that's, I like it. That but. is why my publisher like was like, well, we really like it for this reason. Yeah. And at the time I was like, okay, but the third book, nary a fuck to be found. <laughs> like, is that no the title? Way. I love it. Just kidding. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that actually is the title. Nary they get me in the end. Yeah. <laughs> So if you hadn't done glow in the fucking dark, would it just be have been glow in the dark? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would just I be, like both. Well, but I appreciate you saying I don't think you're a gimmick. I don't Yeah, I don't think it <laughs> That's is. really helpful. <laughs> yeah, I I like it. I for me it's like I don't know. I also really like the covers. Thank you. They're beautiful. The covers uh many tears were shed over both. Mm. Many disasters and crises of the mind. <laughs> a cover is a very impossible thing to do. Yeah. Did you is it the same artist? No. Um uh by yourself the fucking lilies is this amazing artist named Jess Phoenix who if you follow her Instagram You'll just feel happier. I need to follow it's her like Instagram. It's like great prints. She does a really good job. And then um, Glow in the Fucking Dark was the artist at Penguin Random House made this. And I was like, I don't know. 
I don't know. Like, I like illustrations. Mm. And then they made me a bunch of illustrations. Nothing made sense. And then finally, <laughs> we went back to their first idea. Is this not an illustration? Is it like a photo or something? Or like illustrations like the lilies. Right. Like, like actual. Right. Like as an, opposed to like a color burst. Exactly. Color colory glow glowy rainbowy colory stuff. yeah i well i like both of them thank you um okay so we know where to find you on substack we know your instagram is tara schuster anything else you'd like to any other plugs you'd like to get out there um i do workshops i mean basically if you subscribe and it's totally free you will get everything and i do a lot of free stuff i talk to a lot of the people who appear in this book these like world experts mm-hmm. that because i like harassed and kept emailing them i can now talk to <laughs> um because i really i want to share this stuff yeah you know it really shouldn't be locked away and if i can make it a little bit funny that's that's the goal so yeah Substack, the journal my pride and my joy thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for having this was me so great tony where might we find you Twitter and Instagram, it's Tony Thaxton. That's Jackie. Jackie Johnson, oh, yeah. Oh, now that I like hear it, I could totally see that. <laughs> what a voice, what a goddess. I know. Right? Um, yeah, and Bizarre Albums every Tuesday. Wonderful. If you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, please make sure you're subscribed. Leave us a nice review. Click five stars. Um, subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. And I am on Patreon. 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 Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. All sorts of fun bonus stuff. Uh, episodes of the Friend Zone. That's my Patreon bonus podcast. I love where you can text me. I'll text you back. Uh, if you do an annual subscription, you get two months free. And then also I have a new podcast that I'm doing with Todd Perry. It's called Allison and Todd After Hours. Uh, I did gossip about a former – no, I wouldn't even say gossip. I talked shit about a former coworker <laughs> on a recent episode And I instantly was like, should I have done that or not? But that is the beauty of the paywall, I guess. And also, I'm having trouble remembering how much I said off air and how much I said on air. Anyway, if that appeals to you, that is a Patreon podcast and it's just $2 a month. So it's patreon.com slash Allison and Todd and follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. Tara, thank you again. Thank you. So great. There There were a couple times when we were talking that I actually got chills. Hmm. I I I felt those moments okay. too. Yeah, this was fabulous. You guys are this is so nice. I like I like being here. Thank this you. Good. This You're was good. really fun. Um, listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. See